Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And the word of the Lord reads, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Eighty years is a long time. I mean, especially in an era like, like now. Because, because things change really, really fast. Especially in the last 20 years, I would say. With the advancement of technology, it seems like five years is like a lifetime ago. In fact, if you have a cell phone that's five years or older, everybody's probably around you told you that that thing is old, that it's ancient, that it's a dinosaur. Right? You've probably even thought yet yourself. Because things change really rapidly. What was new today, you know, two years from now will be, will be old. And so things change fast and they change a lot. And, and so 80 years is a long time because a lot has changed in 80 years. A lot has changed here, even at First Baptist Church. I know that, um, you know, Claudine and Vincent, and, and those of you who have been here for decades, uh, probably have seen a great deal of change here uh, in our church. The colors have changed. Um, the buildings have changed. The music style has changed. I don't know about the whole musical saw thing, but... Um, I know the seating has changed. And in fact, one of my favorite stories about First Baptist Church that I was told by... Um, people in the past is that, you know, there were pews, and they were, they were wood, all wood, with no padding, right? And, and so there was a limited number of cushions that, that, that people had to go around, and there were people who would get to church early to make sure that they could secure themselves a cushion, because, I mean, think about it, sitting in a hard wooden pew, listening to a, a Baptist preacher who could go long, could be hard on certain parts of your body, right? And so... And so there were certain people who did that, and, and, and I heard a rumor that it was actually really a serious offense to take someone's seat in a pew, All right, number one. Number two, it's even worse if you took someone's cushion. In fact, I think that they would even get the deacons involved in an event like that. And sometimes there might even be church discipline done, you know. So, so padded chairs was really kind of a nice change, but it, was, but it was a change nonetheless. And my point is, a lot of things have changed in 80 years. And, and you can see it. You can, you can feel it. It's, it's all around you. But here's the thing. There are some things that have not changed in the last 80 years. And there are some things that have not even changed in the last 2,000 years. Specifically two things. Number one, the fact is um, the church was designed by God to be at the heart of the Christian life. The church was meant to be the hub and the center of Christian life. Now, there are a lot of people who might not see it that way, but it's still the truth. The church was designed by God to be the mechanism by which we actually come together. It was the mechanism by which we actually uh, worship corporately. It was the mechanism by which we were to come together and express our love to God. It's where, it's, it's, it's where we're to connect and fellowship and, and to get involved in each other's lives. The church is supposed to be the, the unified body where we come together and we learn little by little to do life together, progressively tearing down the walls that separate us, smoothing out those prickly little edges that we all have that tend to get under each other's skin. 
it, it's, it's where we were to learn to love each other and to grow with one another and to serve each other. The church was designed by God to be at the heart of the Christian life. And number two, the church is God's chosen instrument to shine the light of truth in the world around us. Which means the local church really is the hope of the world. Again, there are those people who would disagree with that. But, but God in His wisdom has decided to bring the light of the gospel into the world through an organism. Not an organization, but a living organism that's made up of imperfect people that He called the church. And it's God's plan for those people, that organism, to go out and shine the light of the gospel for the rest of the world to see. And it has always been that way. These are two things that have not changed throughout the entire history of the church. And these are two things that have not changed here at First Baptist Church. The church is the heart of the Christian life. And the church is God's instrument to share the hope of the world. And I don't expect that every one of you will agree with me on that. Or believe the things that I say just simply because I am the pastor. Because the fact of the matter is, I am just a man. I am a broken sinner. Imperfect just like you. But in, so instead, what I would like to do is not appeal to my authority, but to appeal to the authority of God by His Word. Out of His Word, I'd like to show you why these two things are true. Why the church is at the heart of the center of Christian life, and why the church is God's instrument that He is using to share the hope of Christ with the world. So again, let's take a look at the text. And to fully appreciate what Paul is communicating here, and the impact of the words in, in, in these verses, it's important to understand why Paul even wrote them down in the first place. You see, there's a context to, to the scripture. There's a context for the letter. And the context really affects how we understand what Paul is getting at. And so, 1 Timothy is really a letter that was written to a very young pastor named Timothy. And, and he was sent by Paul to the city of Ephesus in order to bring... Um, uh, to restore order to the church there. Because the fact of the matter is, is Ephesus was a very tough place to have a church. Ephesus was, was a very um, important economic hub in the Roman Empire. And because there was a lot of money, then there was a lot of other things that came along with it. And the city and the culture itself was very decadent. And the fact of the matter is, is in, Ephesus, in Ephesus, everything went morally and sexually and even religiously. Like, there was really no restraints in, in Ephesus. And there was a lot of pressure on the church from the outside to conform and to be shaped by the culture around them rather than actually being shaped by the Word of God, which, by the way, is actually the same problem the church faces today. I mean, there's a continual pressure on the church to adopt worldviews of the culture instead of having your worldview defined by the scripture itself. And, and so there was a lot of pressure grow, you know, that, that was growing then, and there's a lot of pressure growing now. And you don't have to be a Christian very long at all to, to see that. And so Paul writes this letter to strengthen Timothy, um, who, like I said, has been sent to Ephesus in order to make to right the ship, so to speak, and to set things right in that church. And, and, and Paul gives Timothy some very clear instructions. He says, first of all, that, he need, that Timothy needs to get rid of the false teachers in the church. Because there are false teachers and, and prophets in the church that are leading the faithful astray. They're, they're leading people away from the truth. And Paul says they don't need to have a voice. They need to be getting, gotten rid of. And then 
then, then, then Timothy was to, to reestablish sound biblical doctrine, to teach the doctrines of the Bible, sound, orthodox, life-giving truth from the Word of God. And then after that, he tells Timothy that he needs to set up qualified leadership in the truth, I mean, in the church. And because the church needs strong leaders. Strong leaders who are biblically grounded. You know, leaders that can help the church hold fast to the truth and to minister and take care of the believers that are inside of the body of believers. And then he says... With all that in mind, he says, I hope to come to see you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now in these two verses, there is enough material here to talk for a whole month of Sundays. But I have already promised you this morning that I would be brief. And so there are three things I want to look at in this text that I think that are relevant to our conversation this morning and what it means for us as, as a church here on our anniversary. And so the first thing I want you to notice is the words household of God and the church of the living God. This right here is very important because the reason why the, the church is at the heart of the Christian life and the reason why it's the hope of the world is because the church belongs to God. You see, it's His church. It's, it's not my church. It's, it's not your church. It's not the people's church. It is God's church. He is the one who owns the church. It belongs to Him. And God Himself, because He created it, gets to decide what the purpose of the church is. And the purpose that He, he brought the church forth for was to connect people together into a unified body so they can take care of each other and grow up together in faith together. And then they can go out into the world and shine the light of truth in a dark world around us. That's the purpose. See, the church is not a man-made invention, as some people would like to say. It's not a social club. We don't get to decide what the church is about. We don't get to decide what the church's mission is. We don't decide what the church is for. We don't decide whether or not the church has value. We don't get to decide whether or not the church is even worthwhile anymore for us to have time to be here. We don't get to decide whether or not we should belong to a church. God decides that because the church belongs to Him. Second, Paul says, the church not only belongs to God, but it's a pillar and buttress of the truth. The New American Standard Bible renders it actually, I think, a little bit better. It says it's the the pillar and support of the truth. Or better, it can even be paraphrased as the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And this is a really important word picture. Paul uses a lot of them. right? Because if you think about classical Greco-Roman architecture, you'll see a common theme. There are lots of buildings constructed out of columns and pillars. And a pillar was a strong piece of material that was typically either made out of granite or marble, and it was set on a firm level foundation, and its purpose was to support whatever rests on top of it. And the idea is that this pillar was supposed to resist the force of gravity and and the lateral forces of the wind in order to uphold whatever rests on top of it. It is a symbol of strength. It is a symbol of stability. That is the word picture that Paul uses to describe the church. 
is that the church is the structure on which the truth of God is set. The, the, the church is the pillar that holds up the truth of God for the entire world to see. The church is God's chosen instrument that He has created to uphold and support and proclaim the truth of the gospel for the rest of the world. The truth about the universe and our place in it, and our destination. The truth about humanity, the truth about our fallen nature, which so many of us don't want to deal with. And the truth about the good news of Jesus Christ. The church is the instrument of God that He has used, and He is using right now, to reach out to the lost and broken world, to share with Him the hope and the grace that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, it's the church that God uses to shine out in the dark world. It is the church that God uses to share the gospel in communities and entire nations as a whole. It is the church that God uses to bring real hope and comfort to the poor and to the marginalized and the afflicted. It is the church that God uses real healing. He brings real healing to broken families and broken communities and people struggling with addictions and, and, and to help those who find that this is a dark in lonely world. As everything else in the world decays and falls apart, as all the other institutions around us fall apart as they will eventually always do, when everything falls in around us, the church remains a steadfast, immovable pillar of truth. And, and the reason why that it's steadfast and immovable is not because of us. It's not because we have great preachers or great missionaries. It is steadfast and immovable because of God. The church is His instrument. It was His invention. It is His structure. It is His house. And, and, he, and it is His design that the church is the, the supporter and the defender and the proclaimer of the church with means, which means the hope of Boron and the hope of our country and, and, and the hope of, of the world really is the church universally and locally. So when God decreed that the church is the instrument that He uses, God is the one who provides the power for it to be wielded. So the church belongs to God, and as such it is a pillar and the ground of truth. And then notice Paul calls the church the household of God. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning together. Because this right here is a very important idea. Because the church is not a building. It's not property. It's not blocks. It's not windows or chairs or pews or furniture. The church is not even this location in space. I mean, we love the buildings here. Don't get me wrong. There is a lot of history here. There are lots of memories here. That's why we're so blessed that so many people have kept so many records and so many things for, for us to be able to look back. There's lots of memories here. Memories that, that are scattered around the world. Colleen has lots of memories. Jim has lots of memories. Vincent has lots of memories. And there are many, many more people like them. There are lots of memories here. That's why we have spent the last six years pouring in hours and hours and hours of labor and love into this place to restore the buildings that we have here. 
And over the last six years, I believe that we've finally kind of turned the tide on the decay that's been threatening to, to, to take down these structures. I mean, we still have a lot of work to do, but I think we've, 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 we're going the right direction. But the fact of the matter is, is, is we do love this place. But as much as we, as much as we love it, the church is not these buildings. The church is not the property. The church, as Paul says, is a household. It's the household of God. And I really want you this morning to, to think deeply about what this means. What does the idea of a household mean? You see, a household means family. That's what a household implies. It implies family. The church, the gathering of the believers here is not simply a gathering of people with common interest. It is not a gathering of people who simply just have like minds and happen to live in the same neighborhood. The church is the gathering together of a family, the family of God. You see, when you were saved, you were born into a family. When you were born again, you were born into a family. When you put your trust in Christ, not only were you rescued from the penalty of your sin, you became a child of God, as, as John tells us. You were adopted into the family of God, as Paul tells us. When you put your trust in Christ, you became a joint heir with Christ. You became an heir of the kingdom of God. You became part of God's own family. And you have to understand what that means. Because it is a, it is a radical, life-altering, earth-shattering, shatter, future-changing truth. I mean, you began your life as a, as a child of wrath. The wrath of God abided on you. You lived your life as an enemy of God. And, and you were an outsider with no hope. You were someone who was an outcast. You didn't belong. But then Christ died on the cross to pay a penalty that you couldn't pay. And he lived a perfect life that you couldn't live to give you a righteousness that you didn't earn. The Son of God was crushed by His Father to save you. That is a thought that just will not fit all the way into my head. But it's the truth. And what you need to understand is that when God forgave you, He doesn't forgive like, like we do. Because how do we forgive? Alright, I forgive you. Just stay over there. I forgive you, but we ain't friends. Right? Alright, I forgive you. I just don't want to ever see you again. Right? You see, God... When he forgave you, he didn't simply turn you into an ex-enemy that he now tolerates your presence in heaven. No. Christ, through his death, reconciled you to God through his death. You've been reconciled to God. Paul says in, in Romans chapter 5, but God, no, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. An amazing truth all by itself. But it continues, since therefore we now have been justified by, the by His blood, we are justified by the blood of Christ, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For, because while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. You 
and I, if we trust in Jesus, have been reconciled to God. You see, reconciliation isn't simply forgiveness. It's, forgiveness is part of it. Right? But, it's, but reconciliation is a bigger idea. It's a more important idea. Right? Reconciliation is a restoration of a relationship. It's the idea that there was a relationship and it was broken and severed and destroyed and then somehow the relationship was made whole again. It was put back together again. It's the complete restoration of a relationship. And I think most of us understand this on some level. Because either we've experienced reconciliation or we certainly desire reconciliation with someone that we care about or that we love. Because we all have had people in our life that we love. We all have people that are friends or family that somehow, someway, we got cross-threaded with them. Something happened, right? And then suddenly the relationship falls apart and it's broken. And there is something wrong. There's, there's, a, there's a divide. There is a rift in the relationship. But somehow, some way, either you or them begin to take steps to bring forgiveness and healing. And over time, that relationship becomes whole again. What was destroyed has now been made right. And if you experience reconciliation in your lifetime, you know what a beautiful thing that it is. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship. And when you trust in Christ... You have been reconciled back to God. You go from being God's enemy to one of God's family. You go from being, from being someone who's, who, who has the wrath of God hanging over their head to someone who lives without condemnation because, brothers and sisters, there is therefore no condemnation in those, for those who are in Christ Jesus. You go from someone who is bound for hell to someone who now gets to spend eternity in the presence of God Himself. You have been reconciled to God. You've been made right with God. You've been restored in a real, up-close, personal relationship with the living God as family. But not just God. But as family with all other believers. You've been reconciled and restored in your relationship with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You are no longer strangers. We are no longer co-workers only. We're no longer just neighbors. We are a family. That is what a church is supposed to be. A family. And God calls us to be that way and to live that way. Like a family. Which means we are called to worship together and to be with one another and to serve each other and to, and to learn to live together. And not, not superficially, like, hi, how are you? Okay. No, not superficially, but close in. We're called to tear down the walls that separate us from each other. We're called to, to remove the obstacles that get in the way of us really, I mean, really knowing each other and understanding each other and, and doing life together. We're called to put away our insecurities and our hang-ups and our personal proclivities that get in the way. And we're called to get busy loving each other. I mean, really loving each other authentically. Not as the world loves, but the way God loves. We're supposed to take what the world calls family and bring it even closer in. You see, the family of God is supposed to be a grace infused family. That's the idea. 
A grace-infused family. You take the idea of family and you saturate it and you saturate it and you saturate it with unlimited, unmerited grace. Grace from God and then grace for each other. That is the family of God. That's what the household of God is supposed to look like. It is supposed to be a group of redeemed people who have been given radical grace, who live now in radical grace, who now pour out radical grace. Which then should radically change how we live and treat each other in community. In fact, the Bible tells us how to live. Just a few things the Bible says. We're told to be at peace with each other, to love one another, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, to honor one another above our, yourselves, to live in harmony with one another, to stop passing judgment on one another, to accept one another, to instruct one another, to greet one another with a holy kiss, to have equal concern for each other, to serve one another in love, to carry each other's burdens, to be patient, bearing with one another in love, to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, in humility considering others better than yourselves, to not lie to each other, to bear with each other, to forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, to teach one another, to admonish one another, to make your love increase and overflow for each other, to encourage each other, to build each other up, to spur one another towards love and good deeds, to confess your sins to one another, to pray for each other, to live in harmony with one another. That's the picture. That's the picture. In the New Testament, there are 59 verses that are related to how we are to live and love and serve one another in the family of Christ. In fact, I've included that list in your bulletin this morning, and I would encourage you to, to, to read them and to meditate on them and to look at them in context. But what you need to understand is that the reason why the Bible has so much to say about this is because we're a family, a real family. That's how a family is supposed to treat each other with love and patience. And grace and dignity and respect. Oh, yes, we tell each other the truth, even when the truth is hard to hear. But we do it with care and compassion. We're to push past what the world tells us about relationships and embrace the fullness that God has given us in Jesus Christ. That right there, that way, the love that we have for each other. The bonds of love that we have for each other will shine like a beacon of hope for the rest of the world to see. People should look at us and see an amazing example of overwhelming grace, a picture of real restoration and reconciliation. If there is, is real love at all to be found in the world at all, it, it is to be found amongst the, the family of God in the household of God. The truth is we, we need each other. We need the encouragement. We need the fellowship. We, we need the love. We need to see the love of God in each other. Otherwise, the Christian life really doesn't make any sense. And because of that, the church, the gathering of the family, 
of God is the heart of the Christian life. The Christian life just really loses its strength and its identity without a church family, without the body of believers. Just as a child was met by God to be integrated and raised in a physical family for, for love and guidance and support, believers must were also meant to be integrated into a spiritual family to be raised with love and guidance and support. So the truth is, about the church, is this. The church is indeed the heart of the Christian life. And because of that, and because of the message of the gospel, it is also the hope of the world. That's how it has been for the universal church for 2,000 years now. And it's how it's been here at First Baptist Church for 80 years. We are still here in this little community because we do two things. We lift up and we support and we defend and we declare the truth found in the Word of God without hesitation and without compromise. And we love each other and we pour into each other's life. And we care about each other like family but please don't take my word for it family I know although it's overused by the world I think the word love loving love not a doubt love because when you walk in that door you feel it accommodating very accommodating. Yeah, they, anybody who comes here is going to be welcome. They're going to be loved. They will be prayed for. I guess I guess have family. You know, kind of all the things that go with being you know, family, love and support and things like that. But family, I guess. One word to describe First Baptist Church, just, it would just have to be welcoming. It would just, this place is welcoming to everybody with open arms, anybody that wants to come. And if you're looking for a home, a church home, a church family, somewhere to, that you can feel comfortable and you aren't being judged, but you are just welcome the way you are, you don't have to be any certain way or be perfect before you come but just because we're real we preach the word of God and we don't make any bones about it no apologies I don't know they're just a really good church and they make you feel at home and loved because you come here you get to be you I think if you just come here to First Baptist Church, um, I think for one, you'll find people are just like you. You should check out First Baptist. I would tell people that they should come here and check it out just because that everything that you think about being a Christian, about loving somebody else and caring about others more than yourself is exactly what we do here. That's exactly what we do is we put our community, our members, and each other before ourselves. That's why you should be here. Absolutely. They have been a huge part of
of these past 10 years, there's been a lot of struggles in our life um, prior to coming here and then getting here. Every single time, every single time, back this past week, my husband was in the hospital and the prayers from the, our family and my pastor coming in at the hospital and helping my husband and me both, it's just been, I, I don't know what I've done without you. They were there for me when I got my brain surgery. And yeah, I lost a lot of friends during that, but none of you guys have made more friends. Yeah, First Baptist Church has always just, has always been here for me. It's, it's always been a place where you can come and pretty much talk to anybody. Any of the leadership has an open door policy. Any of, any of the deacons have an open door policy at the church and at their homes and, and through their phones. So it's just always been a place that, that you can come when, whenever you're struggling. That, that's a, a deep question because it means so much to me. My walk with the Lord has grown and I have become um, so involved. I love serving the Lord here. I love helping others. I appreciate my pastor so much and his teaching and how much you have been uh, helping me grow in the Lord. And it's my home, you know. place I can come where I guess it feels like I'm coming to extended family um, you know everybody kind of knows everybody even the newer people we have visitors come in it still kind of almost feels like you know them and they know you and you can go and talk to people and just be comfortable um, First Baptist Church is just a place where my family is where the people that I trust most in my life are and where the people that love me the most are. So that's why I'm here. That's what it means to me. It's just our family. It's family. It's home. If I have something going on, it doesn't take a member knows my personality and they can tell right away, what's wrong? Can I talk to you? What's up? You know, can I help you? You know, so it's just the love and the friendship that you develop with people. Father God, thank you for First Baptist Church. Thank you, Lord God, for what First Baptist Church stands for. Thank you that it's been here 80 years. That you have, you have used people faithfully for 80 years to proclaim the gospel in our little town and to, and to share hope and comfort and, and, and strength with, with everyone they come in contact with. And Lord, you've used this little church to, to send missionaries around the world. The impact of this little church is felt around the world. That's because of you, and we thank you for that. I pray, Lord God, that your hand would be upon this church for 80 years or more, and that you would continue to help it to grow all the way up until the time Jesus comes home and takes us home. I pray, Father God, that you would help this church to, to serve you continue to proclaim the gospel and Lord we would grow as a church family investing in each other's lives loving each other and serving each other the way that you're calling us to I thank you for that and I pray that you would bless all those that are here that you give traveling mercies to those who traveled and that you're glorified in all that we say and do in Jesus name we pray Amen
You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.